Good afternoon, uh, Sincil. It's an honor for me to speak with you today. Uh, I've been seeing this church where we're going. I've been loving what God is doing. We just came back from Reading, and God uh, took our hearts and melted melted them again. Um, I'm excited for the new season that we're going to have in our church. And since this is my second, well, kind of my second time speaking, but last time it wasn't that much of a preparation. It was just like, hey, can you teach something quickly? Uh, this time it's like the official. I'm going to give a little bit of a background of why am I uh, here, like a Mexican in Newburgh. That's kind of weird. So, uh, yeah. So yes, I'm from Mexico. My parents um, raised me and my brothers in the church, and there were all we like they were always in leadership, uh, no matter the church we were in. My dad was the leader of a large movement in Chihuahua, one of like the one that Alex just described that we were asking for revival and we were praying day and night, night and day for revival to come. Uh, we did see amazing things, but at the end it was kind of like it burned me out, but. God brought me back, uh, actually 10 years ago, exactly, to, from today. Like, it was like a season where I came back and I was healed from that. Uh, before that, my life was marked in 1997 uh, when my mom contracted lupus. How many of you guys know what lupus is? You know? Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's a terminal disease. And my dad was told that she wouldn't make it past the year. I was 10. I prayed constantly and every, every night for my mom to be healed. One of the nights, uh, I've heard this from some preacher. I've heard that he said the same thing, so I copied him. And I decided to pray, hey, God, if you heal my mom, I'll dedicate my life to you for the rest of my life. And uh, God took it kind of seriously, and here I am. <laughs> she got healed. And yesterday, yeah, that's pretty cool. I don't know if this thing is going to work. Hopefully it does. It was working. It's supposed to turn to the next slide. There it is. Yes, it does. That's a letter from uh, the doctor. It's in Spanish, so only the people that can speak Spanish can read it. Uh, the point is, it's actually describing what my mom had in 1997. And if you can see the date over there, it says, in 1997, the activity ceased. And uh, she's completely healed. So that's, that's an in, incurable disease being cured and healed. The doctor cannot explain how it happened because it was in like a month. They were, she was terminally ill and she was like, well, please say goodbye to uh, Erica, my mom's name. Uh, she's going to pass away. But suddenly she, he, was trying to, he was having to explain what happened and he couldn't. And it actually says... There at the end, I can't explain what happened. So that's amazing. Thank you, God. <laughs> um, five years ago, Lauren and I got married after ministry school. She's over there. Wave. Yeah. Uh, we did ministry school in California, and uh, after trying to live for a year in Mexico, we decided to come back. The food wasn't really good for Lorna, so <laughs> she liked it, but the water wasn't working, so we had to come back. Um, we chose Portland to come back, and so here is where I, we are now. Awesome. Um, we have been studying the throne of David, and we've focused heavily on the presence. And uh, since that was the focus of David, tonight I want to focus on uh, Psalm 27. 
If you want to start opening your Bibles there, that would be awesome, because we're going to actually read the whole song. But before we dive into the chapter of today's, let's give a little bit of context of David. Um, the guy was anointed king, and it was years later that he saw the fruit come into fruition. Between those years, he was persecuted, he was in constant conflict, and things did not look like, um, like the promise described. Like the promise said, hey, you're going to be king, and he was not king of anything. Uh, he was just running away. And time after time, he encountered dangerous situations and overcame fear. We know the story that he killed a lion, he killed a bear, and then he killed a giant, Goliath. Uh, basically, he killed them all, if you don't know the story. Uh, the best part of this story is that we see the opposite in Saul's life. Uh, he fears man, he fears losing everything, and even though that he did not earn it, like he did nothing to earn it, he's trying to earn it. He's trying to earn his crown. And David is, in the other hand, trying to, like, be honorable to him, right? So we have these two characters that are playing like very clear distinctions of one moving by faith and the other one moving by fear. So David was plan B. Plan A for Israel was Saul when Israel asked for a king. But the problem with Saul is that he didn't have a relationship with God. He constantly needed Samuel, Samuel the prophet back then to communicate with God, and he valued the voices of the people more than God's voice. Saul cared only what people thought, valued everyone else's voice to God. Why? Because he didn't know God. He feared man. He feared men. Have you feared what people were saying about you? Have you guys had that? Yeah? Saul did not know where he stood with God, and since he did not know, he focused on what he could see. There it is. My phrase. Uh, what fear of man does primarily, and this is Alex, so you can talk to him about this. Uh, it takes our focus off God, and it puts it on others. We want to be a church that focuses solely on God, a church that follows the first commandment. What's the first commandment? Yeah, awesome. Great, Alex. I love that you participate. <laughs> yes, love your God. That's the first commandment, and it's the basis like, I feel like we, we sometimes forget. We want to do so many other things, but that's, like, the thing that doesn't move. David killed, betrayed, and slept with another man's wife. He made a mess, but when he was confronted, he didn't care about his kingdom or the blessing. He cared about the presence. That was what moved his heart. Saul, on the other hand, even disobeyed God because of what people may think and say about him. He, like, he, he moved he, he didn't care what God had said because other people were saying the opposite. So he completely threw away the whatever God had said. But the reason we're studying David is because David was not afraid of being pierced. When the prophet called him out, he was open. He bowed down. He said, oh, hey, I, I screwed up, and I give it all back to him, back to God. But Saul protected himself from God and the prophetic people around him, like Saul only used Samuel as much as he wanted. He didn't let him actually speak into his heart. Isn't that so much of what our society is doing right now? It's running away from being exposed. We're constantly afraid of the people around us, and we end up opening the door to anxiety. Isn't like one of the main things that we have is anxiety. Just like Saul did. He even had like 
he asks David to play worship for him so that his anxiety would go down. Like, that was something that we just, he was constantly struggling with. David lived different. He, fo- he focused on the presence, so he lived without fear. Saul was foc- focused on what people thought, so his whole life became fear. Let's, start look, let's take a closer look at Psalm 27. So, sorry about the accent. I'm just going to read it. You guys have it in front of you, so um, you'll understand it because you can see it. But here we go. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army beside me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Do you see a, do you see a theme right there about fear? What is he saying about fear? The other people are going to have fear. The other people are going to stumble. He's already putting the worry on what the positive thing is going to happen to him because he's not going to be afraid. And then we go to the main thing. One thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe. In his dwelling, he will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemy surrounding me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes or false witnesses arise up against me. Spouting malicious accusations, I will remain confident on this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. That is really good. After reading this verse, you can see that David knew exactly what God thought about him. Can you see that? At the end, he's starting to see what he's going to see. Like, he's starting to say what he's going to see, the goodness of God in the land of the living. He's, gonna, he, he's confident that he can spend time in the presence of, of God in, in, like, in verse 4. That is a beautiful verse. If you go back and says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. This sounds like someone that has, is convinced that he's welcome there, that he can stay there. He's wanting to spend as much time as possible in the presence. Saul lived for the audience of the people around him. David had an audience of one. He cared for, for the Lord, and that's it. That's all he cared about. He actually, uh, David knew his strength came from, from the presence. Like, the, the only way that he was willing to give it all up for that, like, when he was confronted about his uh, infidelity by the prophet, what, what did he do? Hey, take it all. I don't want it. I just want the presence. Don't take the presence away from me. He was willing to give it all up. 
He actually changed the whole way of relating to God once he was king. In the old covenant, the people of God would sacrifice animals to atone for sin. This was the priest's entire job. David changed the job description. New jobs, new job description. Uh, first, they were killing things. Now they don't have to kill things. That was kind of different for them. The priest had to learn new skills. He appointed 200 plus priests to worship with songs 24-7. That's different. Now you have to play instruments. No more butchering people, well, things, animals, not people. That's different culture, different place. I'm from Mexico again. We had whatever. He knew that God wanted that more than sacrifice. Uh, he knew that, he, that, he wanted, that God wanted actually a sacrifice of praise instead of the blood of, of a lamb. And you can see that in 1 Chronicles 16 if you want to study that. The way priests would approach the present was, was all based on fear of losing their lives. The presence of God was seen as dangerous and only one priest, a priest a year would go into the presence. David, he would go in. He broke every rule. There was a rule. You can only go once a year. And not the king, it was supposed to be the high priest. So David didn't care. Why? Why can't he break that rule? Why is God letting him break the little box that they had already made? When David shifted the way of ministering to God from animal sacrifices to sacrifice of praise, he focused on love. The love of God was bigger than everything they cared about. This was radically different than the religion of the day. God wanted relationship like he wanted with Adam and Eve, but Israel had only known fear-based religion. So David pulled what was available for the future covenant which we live in to his present. Does that make sense? Like he was in the old covenant where, is that it? Yeah, there it is. So old covenant, you can only sacrifice, like, communicate to God once a year, go into the presence. Only one person can do that. If not, you die. Like in the presence, you would die. David knew God's heart, knew what connected into his heart. So he pulled was that what was available in the new covenant, he pulled it into his time. He broke the rules. And he, he brought, why? Because God didn't care about that. He cared about love. He cared about relationship. He actually cared. He didn't care so much about the law. He gave them the law because they asked for that. But he, gave, he responded to love. He responded to relationship. Let's look at uh, Psalm 27 again. In verses 1 and 3. If you see that, those verses, it's focused on, fe- on not fearing anything. The guy is not afraid of anything. He fought a bear. I would be afraid of the bear. Maybe the lion I'm okay with, but the bear. Uh, then verses 4, it shows the base for that love, being loved by God. God shows his love, making, like, making his beauty available to, to David because he can inhabit like, the presence. He, can, he wasn't even in the palace then, and he felt like he was in the palace with God. So he made that available. Then in 6, it shows the reward. In seven, shows that what he actually fears. What did David fear? If you look at seven, verse seven, let's look at seven. It says, hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. He cared about what God thought. 
He feared the Lord. There's this thing called the fear, the fear of the Lord. That one's good. The other one's bad. You got it? That, that's, that's, that's what he feared. Saul feared to lose everything. Saul feared for his own success. David only, only feared that the Lord would respond to him, that the relationship would keep on going. This psalm can be, uh, that, is, that is focusing, and you read as a psalm for the church, uh, in his book, The Psalms, that's his, the title of the book, uh, Bonhoeffer says the following. Um, it's the next one. <laughs> there we go. Psalm 27 and the others sing to Jerusalem, the city of God, of the festivals, of the people of God, of the temple, and the beautiful worship services. It is the presence of the God of salvation in his congregation for which we here rejoice, for which we long. This church will withstand all enemies. Its imprisonment under the powers of godless world will come to an end. And uh, you can see that in Psalm 126 and 137. But what I want to highlight about this quote is that this church will withstand all enemies. This Psalm 27 is actually talking about us our relationship with God. You can read this as what you're invited to have. So you will withstand what? All enemies. So it's a matter of trust. Do we believe or not who he says he is? Do we allow and see our experience as the dictator of our theology? Like so, much, so, many, so many times people have told me like lupus is a deadly disease because of their experience. So do I allow that experience to tell me what my theology is going to be? Or do I use something like Psalm 27 to be my theology? This is a huge temptation for everyone, allowing the opinions of other people to become elevated over God's opinions. That lead us into fear rather than conquer. Just like Saul. Uh, check out what Paul said about this um, in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no, no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is our new reality. What if we are more impressed by God like David, was rather than the enemies and the problems in front of us. If, the, if we're more impressed by the answer, who is God, then the problems are going to be very, very small. They're not going to be impressive at all. What are the problems? What are the enemies? Sorry, I, didn't, I for, totally forgot about that. Our answer is so big that we know that we know that there is no problem that can stand it. So um, in March 2015, uh, my dad and I, we, we, we started a mining company back in 2012, something like that. Uh, and in 2015, we were preparing to sell five of our mines, five of our mining titles. We were going to sell them to this uh, public company. And... Um, it's important that you know that it's March. <laughs> the plan was to make the negotiations and live with our savings throughout the negotiations. Uh, with our savings, I mean with Lorna and I. 
Uh, sorry if you're having kind of like PSD about this. Sorry. Uh, I worked on this negotiation, and we were planning that by that summer, we would be good to go uh, to the US. So that was our plan, Lorna and I. When summer came, to the negotiations were nowhere to be, like not even, not even close to starting, to starting. So Lorna had to go back to the US by herself with a cat. Uh, yeah, the cat, we, the cat got a passport and got like certifications, and uh, the cat died that summer. So uh, <laughs> it got patted by TSA. I didn't know that that would go on. And then Lorna had to chase it down. I, and I was supposed to help, but I didn't go because I was still negotiating and still working on this. So I would go back and forth uh, from Mexico to California to visit Lorna and then go back to, to, to work uh, to have more meetings. By October, this started in Mar March. By October, still no deal. And we, are, we still had savings, but uh, there was nothing coming in. In the middle of this year, uh, of this, every day I prayed and spent time with the Lord, of course. I think I've never prayed as hard as in this season. Uh, I interceded like David in this psalm, asking for breakthrough, for victory among my enemies, <laughs> the lack of money. Uh, I call it a dark season because the circumstances were dark, but... But I was full of hope. I, I had my prophetic words. I had uh, the Lord had, spoke, had spoken to our family. So I stayed up. Like even though that I, I stayed up at night crying because I had to make this deal happen. Uh, or how can I make money? I still had hope that this would come through and that the Lord would show up. Finally, in December, we had our letter of intent. So basically, in this kind of negotiation, what we did is that we negotiated first. And then they tell you, okay, fine, we're interested. And they give you a letter of intent. So uh, it was kind of out of the blue, and we were so happy that we decided to move to Portland. Lauren and I, we were like, we got our letter of intent. It, it gives you a timeline. So we're going to get here. And we were like, where, where, where are we going to stay? What about the Pearl? So we rented an apartment in the Pearl. Worst decision ever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because... You see, I changed my migration uh, status. I changed it to, I, I want to stay here. I told the government. I gave my paperwork and all that. And, and, and then they tell you, okay, cool. You cannot work for six months. So you cannot leave the country for six months. And you got to stay here for six months. And you cannot do anything. If you do any, anything, if you work in any capacity, we're going to take it away. And you cannot like, be accepted. Now that's the green card. <laughs> so I was in the limbo because I couldn't get a job, and uh, I still—I mean, I still worked online with my dad, not getting paid, uh, but uh, <laughs> again, I was not getting any money. Um, and I would walk the streets of Portland just praying. And asking God, like, come on, we gotta close this deal. This is the only option. This is this is it. Uh, there's nothing else. And uh, I would see the homeless people walking around, and I was like, I might be joining you soon. <laughs> and they would even like, I would talk to like to people, and I would just be like super friendly and trying to, um, I don't know, bless them in any way because I didn't have any money. So it was like, well, we're here, we are. <laughs> and, <laughs> 
And they would tell me, hey, there's actually a lot of help around here. And I, I actually learned, took notes of where to go. I'm not kidding. <laughs> um, but I was still living in the Pearl in an apartment with a hot tub <laughs> on the top. So it was like, how many of you know that when you're full of fear, it doesn't matter if you're living in a palace, feel, fear will transform that palace into a prison. I felt like that apartment was a prison because I had to pay it every month. And even though the hot tub was really nice, <laughs> it wasn't worth it. <laughs> I, I do owe so much to Lorna in that season. My marriage is what it is today thanks to her believing in me and in what God was doing uh, during that time. Like, I would get so afraid that we end up in a failure in my marriage because it was like a year old in marriage. And then doing this whole thing, it was tension, so much tension. <laughs> But that season, like, actually built a foundation on us. Like, right now things come hard, and we have that huge foundation that just solidified everything. Thank you so much for staying. Uh, <laughs> constantly I had to readjust. Now, here's the thing. Constantly I had to readjust from fear to love. Um, from fear to trust in him. The circumstances were dark, but my heart was, was getting full of light every time, and I don't know how. When I would run to him, I felt like I was walking with the Lord, like walking with a lion beside me, like in the streets. Like this guy came, comes over, a homeless person, and he tells me, hey, man, I need money. Uh, I'm in a lot of pain. And I'm like, I like immediately thought of the verse of like where um, Peter and I think John are walking together and they find this person and they say, hey, can you help us? And he said, and I think Peter says, I, we don't have money, we're pastors. And uh, <laughs> so I felt like that. I'm like, I have no money, like literally nothing, nada. Um, so I said, but I could pray for you. I prayed for him. He got healed. That right there, he's like, whoa, what did you do? And he, he was, I don't know if he was high or he was really excited. Um, <laughs> Let's call it excited. Um, he got really excited. But I, like, I felt like the Lord was in me even through my season. Like, like there was no money still. And I was just turning into positioning myself into, no, the Lord is praying with me. He's interceding with me. I'm not trying to convince the Lord for this to happen. I'm not twisting his hand for this to happen. I'm actually joining him, co-ruling, so that this happens. And uh, so, at the end of the season, by June, June 2016, so it was, my prayers were not of begging, but of knowing that he was interceding with me. Then finally, the deal closed, and we got money for the first time in a year and a half. Um, our, jo our job in times of difficulty is to take hold of our God, what God purchased the identity that he purchased for us. What Paul was talking about in Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. If Christ lives in me, when I pray for the homeless person, who's praying for the homeless person? Me? I have no powers. I can't do anything. I didn't even have money. So who healed that guy? Not me. What I realized on this season is that I don't need to beg 
to, I don't have to beg God to act on my behalf. He's invited to corrule with me. He's invited me to corrule with him. I'm not inviting him. It's the other way around. But yeah, just like David corrule with him. Um, let's look at the text. And at the end, it says, I remain, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. He will see the goodness. You will see, you will see the goodness of God in your life. That's your promise. That's it. You can take it. Take that piece, put it, write it down. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's for you. David was anointed king, and it was 10 years before he got that promise. And the circumstances didn't look like he was going to be a king because uh, his father-in-law wasn't happy about it. It's like you get your father-in-law's job. It's not a good thing. He's not going to be excited. Oh, yeah, you took my daughter, and now you want my job. What else do you want? I'm going to murder you. It's not a happy family. Christmases weren't nice. It must be very awkward. And he spent, like David literally spent his 20s running away from Saul. He hid in caves. But he had the unique ability to live as royalty, even while not being affirmed as royalty by the culture and the people around him. When he was in the cave, he transformed it into a palace. He transformed the people around him from robbers to mighty men. When your heart knows whose you are and who God is, the circumstances bow down to God. Just like what Jacob was doing. I was about to say, well, should I preach? Like, because Jacob just did it. Like, <laughs> he was amazing. He, actually, he, what he said was true. Everything needs to bow down to him. Any part of our lives needs to bow down to him. So when our hearts bow down, everything around us bows down. No matter the circumstances around us, when the homeless person comes to me and says, hey, I don't have anything, what happens if I, my heart is bowed down, but I don't let the circumstances of my, that are keeping me like, with fear, I don't let them touch me, but I let what's in me actually flow through me so I have something to give. When I come to church uh, today, for example, I spend, Alex, was telling the leadership team, we spent hours preparing. I needed a lot of help. Uh, <laughs> anyway, one would think I was tired, but when I came here, I was like, I need to turn on my heart so that when I talk to people, it's not out of my own ability, but what God has poured out on me so that I have something to give. Even though that I might be tired, I even though that I may, might be very focused, because I'm going to teach. No, I have to give it out of overflow. So, what is, so David knew where he stood and how big God is, right? I made that point. The main difference between David and Saul is that one understood that he could enter into the presence of God and the other one was afraid of it. What does this mean for you? The issue I want to tackle tonight is that, powerful, that many powerful and righteous Christians don't live powerful or righteous because they're listening to the wrong voices. That projection of powerlessness is against the kingdom. It's demonic. Just as David was a giant killer, we're meant to kill giants of our time. And those giants are not visible anymore. Uh, Chris Valentin, there's a, there's a quote there. Uh, Andrew, if you can put it. Yeah, worry is making whatever is making you worry very bigger than God. 
So if I worry about something, I'm making that what I'm worried about bigger than him. Any thought in your mind that does not bring hope, it's influenced by the opposite from God, the demonic. A phrase that Alex says is sometimes the voice that we listen to that we agree with sounds like our own voice because we have agreed so many times with the enemy that he has begun to sound like us. I want to give a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, I had a, a prophetic insight. If you can put that up also, Andrew, the next one. Um, the bears and the lions and the giants for, of our time are the thoughts and mindsets that keep us in fear. So an example of what I wrote down is, I'm not enough, I'm not powerful, I'm destined to be alone, I'm going to be a failure, I can't be used by God. Do any of these sound familiar or have been on those voices? I believe that fear of men is keeping the church from growing in power. This, what, is gonna, what, are, what are people going to think about if I surrender at all? Are they going to think I'm crazy? We have to stop partnering with fear. We have dreams for this church from God that will not happen unless God finds a group of people who will give bigger yes, a bigger yes than, the, than to the enemy. There's a phrase next to this one that, um, to this slide. Um, it says, the next one, Andrew, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> this is what I imagine the, the, our mindsets to be. On our minds to be like everything's on fire, but this is fine. I'm, no problem. This is not fine. When our anxiety is going like skyrocketing, that's not okay. I like memes. That's why I use them. Now, vulnerability is not denying the re the wrestle that's going on inside of you. It's choosing to believe that one side that is faith and denying the other one that is unbelief. It's choosing to risk and do what's right even when there's doubt. The tension of unbelief and faith is real, but acting in the direction of faith in that tension is called mustard seed faith. It's not faith unless there's a wrestle and unbelief is an option. Unbelief is easy, faith is not. He posted it today, so I was like, oh, I'm taking that. <laughs> uh, Brian Johnson posted that. Uh, but Saul... He constantly just saw fear as the thing that he partnered with. He was afraid of everything. He didn't believe that God could use them. David, on the other hand, he didn't even let the culture around him tell him what to do when he came to God. He knew that what mattered was God himself, the opinion of God himself. Uh, on 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's a promise that you can put in your mirror and read it to yourself every day. You're seated in heavenly places to bring heaven to earth. If he didn't intend heaven to come to earth, he would not have asked us to pray that. Uh, he would not have taught us to pray it. We're destined to win because he already won. It's done, taken care of. So, last thing, just to finish, I want to uh, just point out a few things that we're going to see on, 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 the, on Psalm 27. 
in Psalm 27, 8, it says, My heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. To cast out all fear, we need to fill with, be filled with perfect love that comes from him. Yes. How are we going to do that? Seek his face. How are you going to do that? Our heart is designed to seek his face. So you were, in a way, we were designed to receive that. And he made, it, he made us, in a way, to respond to it. And the moment that we start seeking his face, we get his perspective. No longer the perspective that we used to have. You, 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 like, there's, in Philippians 4, 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer petition, give thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What I love about this is that it transcends all understanding. Because the world will tell you, it makes sense that you would go crazy because of this situation. Everything's on fire. You should be shaken. But you go, no, I'm not anxious about anything because in every situation I pray to him, I go to him. Just like David, in every situation, bear, lion, giant, what do you want? I go to him. Our heart is designed to seek his face. Saul constantly ignored the prophets speaking into his life. That's another thing. Listen to the prophetic words. If you have prophetic words over your life, listen to them. Saul constantly ignored them, and he lost course. David, as soon as he heard the prophetic word, he went down. He said, I need to hear this. I need my heart to be open. So uh, can you guys stand up with me?